This morning, we are picking up, it's really kind of a part four on following Jesus. Uh, the subtitle is Stepping Into Our Identity, You Are Spiritual. Could be one of the greater challenges that the, that the church struggles with is finding our identity in our spirituality, not in the fact that we're male, we're female, we're smart, we're educated, we're talented, or we're in trouble all the time and we feel like a loser, all these different ways that we can identify. But the truth is, we are spiritual people created to walk with and to follow God. And as we've been working through these, uh, this series, really the challenge has been twofold. One is for us to really appreciate the reality that we are spiritual beings. And part of the challenge of that is we have to acknowledge there is a spiritual world. And that that spiritual world is powerful and it matters. And, and, the, and the reality is, as we step into our spirituality, we come face to face with that world. For most of us, we would like to Take whichever pill it is, I think it's the red pill, but I'm not sure, whichever pill that allows you to go back and live in bliss. But you know, the scripture, Paul makes this comment in one place, I'm telling you these things not to teach you new things about the gospel. What I'm warning you and challenging you with is because you already know the gospel. So the spiritual warning that we see over and over again in the New Testament is to believers. And there are spiritual warnings about the harassment of demons, about encountering demons when we're trying to set people free, about our own brokenness, our own ability to learn to hear God, to trust God, and to follow God. All these things are a part of the story that God is putting together. So Scripture itself is the one that describes us and talks to us in that way, and that we are spiritual beings, and the truth is, the Spirit calls us to spiritual, the Scripture calls us to spiritual warfare. We are at war. First off, the Scripture talks to us about discerning and really understanding. To discern is a key part of living in Christ to be able to sense in your spirit, to be able to sense good and, and sense evil becomes critical. You know, for me, um, years ago, I was a believer, and there was a particular restaurant I would go into, and the food was great, the service was great, and the prices were good, but I didn't like going there. I didn't really think about that. I just... You know, it was just, it's on the list, but I never really chose it. Somebody else might choose it, and I would go there. And so one day I was with a friend of mine from church, and we were going to go out to eat. And so I recommended it because I thought, she'll, she'll probably like eating there. She said, I don't want to go there. I said, why? But it's because it's dark. You're right. I never thought about that. But I felt it. It was dark. There are places that are dark. There are people that are dark. And there are places that are light. And there are people that are light. And that's discernment. 
and how we operate in that and how we come to the reality that that matters and that we also walk in darkness and walk in light depending on who we are. We looked at Ephesians chapter 3 and we see how the scripture over and over again describes us as a people that are indeed naturally supernatural. Uh, Verse 10 and 11, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you hear that? That isn't, you know, I want to impress your local ball team. I want to impress your city council. Now he's talking about, I am going to challenge the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And he says, this was always my plan. Matthew 18, 18, we talked about this last week, just bringing this back up to date where he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Really beginning to describe the kind of authority that he is calling you and I to walk in. But much of the church doesn't. Much of the church retracts and pulls back. And much of our faith is about figuring out how to live our life better and and how to get along better. And much of our life is really centered around us having a better now. But the scripture describes you very differently. The scripture describes you as one who sets things free and binds things up based on what you see. When you move into light, you set the... you. Uh, you, you, you release those things. When you move into darkness, you set those things free. Your discernment begins to operate in authority. It's not that I should not go to the restaurant that's dark. What I should do is go there with authority and purpose. The Lord has revealed something through the Spirit. I know something that many of the people in that restaurant do not know. That's part of our role. We bind and we set free. Matthew 12, 29. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man, plunder his goods, only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house? What we're going to see in a minute is Satan has people bound up. But we have the authority and the power and the call to set them free and to bind up Satan to then steal from him. That's the imagery that it gives. Ephesians 6, we're just going to touch on it. And uh, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, the very ones God is mocking with you and I, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You realize it's calling a mighty powers. You see, for us to acknowledge there are spiritual powers that are against us and against the world, for us to acknowledge that puts us in a position of, now where do we stand in that power? You see, to know and to understand puts us in a place where 
If we are honest with ourselves, we have to make some decisions. Who am I? What is my identity? Am I a person that can go to a church and put some money in the plate and, you know, I'm not going to get drunk or I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. That's going to make me a good person. But you see, that has nothing to do with the spiritual landscape, does it? It has nothing to do with what God is doing. So we're told to put on all the armor. Why? So that we can resist, so we can do battle. So we can resist. Believers don't resist in our own strength any better than anybody else does. We have, I believe last time I looked, a higher divorce rate than the world. We have infidelity both in the leadership of the church and throughout the church. We have addiction. We have suicide. We have all kinds of things that are active in the people of God. Yet often, we still just see those as social issues or a personal flaw or a weakness. We, fail to continue, we continue to fail to see there is a spiritual power against you. There is a spiritual power that is against me. So we begin to see in this scripture here, where it calls out that we need truth, we need righteousness, we need peace that comes from the good news. Faith, salvation, the word of God. We need to be praying at all times and every occasion. We need to stay alert and be persistent. That, that isn't, you hear how that's not a lame call, is it? Stay alert, be persistent. Be on your guard. You're at war. What I want to bring into this picture today is sin. I think, I think for believers, the idea of our sin is often pretty close to us. I think for many of us, uh, we know we have sin. We know we have weaknesses. And I think very often it prevents people from wanting to step out and pray for someone that they think might have a spiritual issue, might have a demon. I look at my life and I go, wow, gosh, it seems like these demons beat this guy up, beat these brothers up in the New Testament. I, I'm going to let somebody else more experienced do that. But you see, to diminish the idea that there are demons at work in our lives is to diminish the spiritual world. It's to diminish much of the New Testament. We may not like it. We like what we can see. We like what we can, um, you know, Years ago, I told you about a haunted house that uh, last week or week before, and I remember my boss's response. He was from Southside Chicago. He was a cop there in like the 40s or something like that, and, and his statement was this. If I can't shoot it, 
I'm not going to worry about it. I won't mess with them, and they won't mess with me. That's diminishing the spiritual world. But it also makes us vulnerable that it can do anything it wants to us. Sin plays a role in the spiritual world for us. And a, and a failure to really grip how sin operates in the supernatural against us is, is perhaps the greatest challenge of the church. For many of us, we, uh, you know, we just kind of accept our sin. We might feel guilty about it. Uh, we might not like it. We might hide it. We might flaunt it. But at the end of the day, if we really saw sin as an instrument of the enemy. So the first thing I want us to understand about sin is it really is the war zone. It's the spiritual war zone for you and I. It is a war. Sin is a war. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a few things on this. The scripture says sin wars against us. And the scripture teaches us, so you have to learn to war against sin. You know, we have to become active in, in going against sin. We have to be willing to say, I am going to stand my ground against sin. It's a totally different attitude than, oops, or it's my weakness. I'm not ready to forgive them. Uh, I don't want to stop looking at those things. Sin is a war against you. And we have to learn to war against sin. I, I believe many of us struggle in all kinds of ways. We struggle to hear God. We, we struggle to even discern God. We struggle to buy his truth. So many things are just really because we're weakened by sin. Sin has taken its toll. Sin from the past, sin from the present. The sins of our attitudes and our thoughts taking their toll. <clears throat> sin is not passive. It's not just the absence of righteousness. But sin is a weapon of the enemy that is active in you and I. <clears throat> it is dynamic, and the, the scripture, not the scripture, but a, a book I've been using uh, called Spiritual Forces in, um, uh, in Spiritual Warfare, it uses this language, <clears throat> that it is a negative spiritual energy field that seeks to carry away everything with it. I, I really like that language. It produces a negative spiritual energy field. We think about sin. It, it is alive. It, it somehow can grow. It somehow can, can gain ground. It can do things. It, it becomes the power of the enemy to manip manipulate and to blind. 
So the first thing is we're at war with it. And it will oppress us. It will enslave us. It will eventually destroy us and everything in its path if we're not willing to do war with sin. It releases this energy, this negative spiritual force. um, and, And for lack of other words, it easily overpowers the best of us. It tempts, it seduces, it deceives, it delights and captivates only in time to torment and torture and finally destroy. Sin is a negative spiritual energy that when we allow it to stay, it does. It produces seduction. It produces doubt. It robs our faith. It shuts down our hearing. It produces guilt in us. Sin is powerful against you and I. In Hebrews chapter 12, it it uses this language. It says, um, so let's lay down every encumbrance uh, and the sin which so easily entangles us. So it really, it really calls on it. You can see this language that the author is describing, that this sin entangles us. It becomes the weight on us. It has, it has that power to continue to hold us down, to trap us in. And, and it says to fight against that sin, to cast it off, to get rid of it, to keep pushing it away. And, and the author goes on to talk about resisting it, that we have to learn to war against sin. And it says, resist it. Resist sin. Resist it. It's not just about doing good or bad. It's about it's something that wants a foothold in you and I. Resist sin. And it says, it, it kind of it gives the magnitude. It says, Some of you have done this, but not to the point of shedding your blood. That's kind of a strange statement, isn't it? Uh, Let me rephrase that. Resist sin to the death. Resist sin to the death. That's how important it is. You know, we we see an infraction. We see a, a sin that's an infraction. We might declare, I'm only human. We might declare a lot of things that kind of justify or or might comfort us, but it's the sin speaking. Because the, the scripture would say, resist it to the death. When you have, when you have someone that's violated you and, and you don't want to forgive them, you can't forgive them, resist it. Push into that. Push into the God peace. And resist every notion that sin, that sin has the right to live in you. It has a right to be there with you. It has earned the privilege of being in your life because of something that's happened to you. You can see the devastation in children that in growing up, They were violated and abused by adults. They carry those scars. 
may carry them. We can see the evidence of those things. And we can understand it. We can understand why they might be the way they are, why they might struggle in the ways they struggle. And it's okay to understand. It's okay to be compassionate. But at the end of the day, if we love them, we want to help them resist and go in the other direction from sin. Because sin becomes entitled. And it sits there in us. And it grows. And in Hebrews, the language is, it's so important to be free of sin. Resist it to the death. Resist it to the death. Where can I stop my fight against sin? When I'm dead. These are warfare words, aren't they? To the death. First, sin is a war. Second, it is a multi-dimensional sin war. Sin affects us on three different levels. One is a personal level, a social level, and a supernatural level. On the, on the personal level, it says, <clears throat> the, the word used in Scripture is the flesh, um, acting in the flesh, moving in the flesh. And flesh could actually mean skin uh, in the Scripture. But it's often used in this context, and you can tell when this context is about our sin nature. So in this context, we use, it, we, we're seeing the word as it is in a negative and a moral context about how we are often inclined toward evil, toward actions that are independent of the will of God. I want you to hear that toward actions that are independent of the will of God. Isn't that the birth of sin? The classic description of inner warfare of our flesh against the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can see it in Galatians 5, 16 through 21. We've gone over those verses, so I've just pulled one verse out. That's where it says, walk in the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But I pulled out verse 17 because I think it just articulates what I've just said here. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Do you see the war? Yeah, see how scripture is describing this war. If we don't acknowledge this war, we are already deceived. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. That's the fight. That's the fight. And it's personal. 
Sin is a social war as well. <clears throat> this is the, the problem of the world. We define the world, and there's a guy named Bill Vines, William Vines, um, as he defines as a human society in alienation from an opposition to God. That's, that's the description of the world. So it comes back. When you, when you understand that language, then 1 John makes sense to you. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, I, I want you to see, those verses seem like, wow, I can't love anything in the world. I really love chocolate. You know, there's, there's lots of things. Not all of this can be, can be evil, right? Uh, it, it's really... I think what that is doing is backing up from the spiritual reality of the world. It, it backs it up and makes it just, uh, wow, there are things I like which are not bad things. But this is talking about the love of the world, the love of the ways of the world, the love of the opportunity of the world. That when it leads us and guides us and directs us. When, when those opportunities that the world presents are evaluated outside of what God is doing, then we are putting our love of the world before our love for the Father. People will, you know, you, actually most of the time, people don't come to me and say, Bill, I'm, I'm thinking of leaving the church. In fact, I can't ever remember that happening. But people certainly leave the church. They just leave. And when you find them, and if you ever have that honest conversation, and I hear this uh, very often, well, I just, you know, not being fed. Or, um, you know, I want more for my my teenager. I, I hear things. Now, let me tell you what I hear. Here's what I hear. I really didn't consult the Lord. The Lord had nothing to do with where I go to church. Lord doesn't make that decision. I make that decision. Now, Maybe they did consult the Lord. They just didn't mention it. My question, whether you go to church here or somewhere else, is that what the Lord is doing? If, if the Lord has you here, be here. And if you don't like this church and the Lord has you here, that your issue is with God. It's not with us. Your beef is with him. And it go to him, I don't like those people. You know, they're noisy or they're whatever. They're singing happy birthday. You see, that's the Lord. I hear people changing jobs because 
of this reason, that reason. And my, my question is, what did the Lord say? And if you come to me for advice, you're going to hear that. You're gonna, I'm going to ask you, what is the Lord saying? It's because you're a spiritual person and because God speaks to people. But you see, as we train to resist sin, we also train in the direction of God. So we train against this, but we train toward this. We train against this, we train toward this. We train against sin, we train toward God. We bind, we loose. We bind, we set free. You see, we practice it, we get good at it. If you pray for the sick and they're not healed, I would talk to God about it and then I would pray for the sick. And then if you pray for them and, and, you, and they don't get healed, then I would talk to God about it and I would pray for the sick. And, and then if somebody is healed when you pray for them, here's what, I would, here's what I challenge you to do. Talk to God about it and then pray for the sick. What are you doing? You're practicing being spiritual. And when you're praying for the sick and you're looking to set people free and you're looking to bind and loose and you step into that identity, you know what it's going to do? It's going to highlight your sin life. You're going to see your sin every time it comes up. Oh, man, I can't believe I was doing that. Now I'm doing this. And God says, you know, I already knew that was there. Now you know it's there. Now let's fight that. Let's resist the sin to the death. Press into me. It's not about guilt, shame, and disqualification. It's about, it's a worthy fight to the death because it impedes us, it encumbers us, it deceives us. I would say the greatest thing sin does is it deceives. It makes your heart cold toward God. It allows you to sit in a room where people are worshiping God, people are weeping, people are raising their hands, and you're going, oh, man, I wish this song was over. They've, like, done that verse 19 times. Uh-huh. Some of you feel that, don't you? Sin limits your identity, and it works to change it. If we put the world first in our decision-making, then we won't be able to follow God. You see, left unchecked, sin will win. Left unchallenged, it will win. The third thing, sin is supernatural. It comes from above is the language here. It is a spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. It's a sin war. And we have to look at sin as a supernatural enemy. It has supernatural ties to Satan. It is supernaturally energized. It is supernaturally motivated. Sin is supernatural. 
Now, for you and I, it might be one too many Twinkies. It might be anything you want to make it. But here's what's behind it. It's spiritual. Sin is always spiritual. And when we start recognizing that sin is not passive, you know, well, you know, she made me mad. I called her a name. I did this. I did that. You know, my bad. You see, Satan loves it when we stop there. My bad. Because it's still there. Sin is not passive. It doesn't just sit around as a suggestion in us for another time. Oh, you could call her this again, Bill. Remember, you did that last time and it made you feel good for a minute. And afterwards, you can just say, my bad. It's not passive. You see, it's like an infection. And left there, it grows and it gives birth. It produces additional darkness. It's what's behind the wickedness and the flesh and the corruption of this world. And it's tied to the true original source of sin. And that's Satan. Paul affirms that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 3. This is New American Standard. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the, our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You see, there's no, there's no middle ground represented here. It's saying that the world follows the path which is the path of the world, which is a path of sin. And that's where all of us come from. And he suggests that the redeemed are rescued out of that or saved out of that condition. We're not here to judge somebody else still of that condition. In fact, all of us, we still have to deal with that condition, don't we? We still have to wage war against sin. We have to step into the war. The difference is we come into that war with great power. You see, it is my conviction that we often struggle to operate in any power and authority when we're ministering to others because we are not experiencing that power and authority in ourselves. I have not stepped into the authority and the power to resist sin to the death. I have not taken that place of power where the Holy Spirit in me says, Bill, now we can have this conversation one more time, but here's the deal. I set you free, and what I set free is free indeed. So why don't you step into your freedom? 
And why don't you resist the temptation? And let's call this what it is. You're not stepping into your authority. You're not stepping into your identity. You are staying back and assuming an identity that the world gave you that I set you free of. Step into your identity. Assume the authority and resist. And when you resist, the scripture uses this language. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what it says. Resist the enemy, he will flee from you. So often it doesn't seem like that, does it? Makes me wonder about the magnitude and the quality of our resisting. Go to the next one. Is that it? Good, because that's all I have too. We're going to continue next week. But our journey to operate in a way where we set others free. And and we are called into that. We are called to set people free. So we see this language where Satan is Lord of this world. Even Jesus called him that. And we see where people are captive of him in this world. And then the language is, we're here to set them free. I can, I can help people with their rent. I can help them with their marriage, help them with their car, with their insurance. But you see, the people of God can step in to the place where they're being defeated every day. And that's where sin is attacking them. It's not about calling them sinners. It's about saying, you have an enemy against you. And I know that enemy because that enemy still comes against me. But Jesus provides a way to resist and to be free of the effects and the burdens of sin. If you would stand.